0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. Welcome again to Grace Community Church. So glad you are here. If you were here for the first time, uh, we are in the middle of a difficult, or really sort of at the beginning of a difficult book from the Old Testament, the minor prophet of Habakkuk. Uh, The foundation and the heart of the gospel is found in the book of Habakkuk when he says in 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. But it's going to take two weeks to cover all of that verse, just a little bit today and then more next week. So glad that you are able to be here and I ask that the Lord will bless you, especially if it's your first time. Thank you for coming and choosing to worship with us. Well, have you recently heard someone say, I like some aspects of God, but there are a lot of other aspects of God that I just don't get, I don't understand, and frankly, I don't like them. There are multiple responses to such an accusation, but none of them should be made in a snarky manner. Did did we not learn last week that the prophet Habakkuk directly challenged God about his ways? People have questions about God, and it's good when we can help them understand the God of the Bible. What would you say to someone who claims to have mixed views about God? I usually begin in sort of a, a... friendly, sort of a jokey manner, you know, if God exists, I don't think we get to determine what sort of God He ought to be. Not that I don't struggle with that myself from time to time. But if there is a God, He is God and I am not. Furthermore, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. The difference In the times, was and is not the advance of education and commerce, but rather the difference is Jesus. Is it okay to ask questions of God? Yes, if we are asking in good faith and not proclaiming a final assessment, accusing God and saying, this is who you are and that's my final word. As a brief review of last week and to provide a general outline of sorts for the book of Habakkuk, in the first four verses of the book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Habakkuk asked a question. Why don't you do something about the evil in the land, God? I mean, look around. You see how wicked people are. Why don't you do something? Well, Yahweh answered. He said, I am doing something, Habakkuk. I am something raising up Babylon, and implied in God's response was to punish Israel. Well, this led to astonishment. How can you punish a wicked nation with an even more wicked nation? This doesn't make sense. Ultimately, Yahweh brought the prophet to the godly attitude that would sustain the righteous through judgment. Chapter two, verses two through three, nineteen. The righteous one shall live by his faith. This morning we're going to sit with the prophet in his astonishment and begin to make a turn toward the attitude that will sustain us for whatever lies ahead. Since Habakkuk two four is such an important gospel verse, and it may have a little something to do with it that so many. People are at that camp in the mountains that I've heard of. I can't remember the name of it. It's TVR or something like that. We will spend another week looking at the way New Testament authors interpreted this verse. Then we'll think about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The week after which connections will be made about patterns in Scripture that we see in modern day life. Just like that, four weeks in Habakkuk has turned into five. I really don't think it'll turn into six. Our text today is Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2, 5. It begins with Habakkuk expressing astonishment that God would punish Judah for its sins by bringing evil Babylon to conquer and destroy Jerusalem. At the end of our text, Habakkuk, or God will reply to Habakkuk and tell him to proclaim that all who belong to the Lord must trust him through the time of judgment. A difficult assignment. Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2 Five. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I will be reading from the English Standard Version. version, And we will begin with the words of the astonished prophet. And there's going to be some along the way here that, that doesn't make sense that you won't understand. That will become clear as we go. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them. Babylon, as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep, an em- keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at the watchtower and station myself on the tower... And look out to see what he will say to me. And I will answer concerning my complaint. So this ends at this portion of Habakkuk. This ends his second complaint. But he's saying I'm going to stand on the watch post and see how he's going to answer me. And then God tells him. The Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it, and that's sort of what Habakkuk was doing, positioning himself on the watchtower so that he could take the word to the people. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. What you should know is that God has begun to tell Habakkuk, I am going to judge Babylon. And if it seems like it's going to be slow in coming, just wait for it. It will come and it will not delay. When it starts rolling, it will go quickly. Behold, verse 4, his soul, Babylon's soul, the king of Babylon, the people of Babylon, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover... Back to Babylon, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wise as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. Well, these words might be difficult to say thanks be to God for them because they're difficult to understand. And what seems especially troubling is that we get the point that when we understand them, they're going to be even more difficult. So why spend time in Habakkuk? Well, when you think about it, Habakkuk and his people, the people of his time were not very different than we are today, he asked the same questions we're asking. The nation he loved was falling apart. The law was perverted. Injustice was pervasive. And the people who had once professed allegiance to Yahweh now sought to please themselves no matter who was hurt in the process. Global unrest was the order of the day as world powers shifted yet again. Was God there? If so, was He awake? Did He care about the sins of the covenant people of God? When God told Habakkuk that he was wide awake and he was preparing to use the proud and brutal nations a nation of babylon to punish the covenant people of god for their sins habakkuk's confusion and despair only increased before he renewed his complaint against god in this second lament habakkuk acknowledged his trust in an all-powerful god who would not let his people die out nations disintegrated in the ancient times and nations cease to exist in our day though many of the people who remain stay loyal to their heritage until they are just subsumed in the conquering nations but the death march or the march from Jerusalem to Babylon was for many nations a death march they didn't recover from such exile The Moabites ceased to exist during the reign of Babylon. Edomites were subsumed into Israel. And Ammonites mixed with other nations as well. Losing their national identity. Should Israel have survived? Should Judah have survived what was to come? Probably not from a human perspective. Yet God had promised. And Habakkuk believed God. So who would you say are the people of God? If someone asked you, who are God's chosen people? What would you say? Would you say Israel? Or would you say the church? Those who know Jesus as a personal savior. The answer is, yes, sort of. All who belong to Jesus are in the family of God. And are thus his people. Is there a special place in God's heart for Israel? Absolutely. And Romans 11 indicates and it it assures us that God is not yet done with the Jewish people. Many Jews will turn to the Lord when Jesus returns to the earth to fully establish His kingdom. The kingdom of God has already broken into the world, but it will not come in full until Jesus' second advent. Even so, even with all those from the nation of Israel turning back to the Lord, it is, it is fair, appropriate, and right to call Christians God's chosen people, which consist of Jews and Gentiles. Being that God gathers His people into the New Testament church and into local bodies like ours, and that He has broken down all walls between Jews and Gentiles, uh, believers, and all other barriers to boot, it is comforting for us to know that Jesus has promised the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In the same way that God promised Habakkuk, I will not let... This nation die. Now, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Does that mean that all will be well going forward with the American church? Well, I don't recall the American church being on Jesus' lips in Matthew 16. Jesus' church, however, will survive all attempts to destroy it and for that we should give thanks if you'll look and think and meditate just below the surface of all that is happening in our day you will see direct attacks on the gospel not only from those who were openly opposed to god's created order and the ways that god does things but 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 like but from like well-meaning people Such as Peter, who immediately after Jesus had said, You're the one whose word is going to be preached and the church will spread to all nations. Who said, Peter said then, after Jesus talked about the cross, No, no, Lord, don't don't go to the cross. Jesus responded, Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And it's very easy in our day, isn't it, to make the gospel so accessible that it renders it powerless. Almost useless. Or or you can still keep doing this and be a Christian. You know, God overlooks these things. When we come to Christ, we have to come, just like Jim said, all the way. Giving ourselves over to him. Verse 13 of Habakkuk presents the classic conundrum of Habakkuk 1, I'm sorry, presents the classic conundrum for for the righteous person who seeks to work out God's ways in her own mind. Now, God, I know you are holy. I know that you cannot look with, with acceptance on evil, and I know that this nation has displeased you, but it is a contradiction that a nation more wicked than this one will be used to punish us. You're too holy for that. Your people will be hurt. By the way, Habakkuk 113 is a very important verse in our understanding of God. Habakkuk speaks speaks truth about God. He cannot allow sin to dwell in His presence. Now, sins have been dealt with at the cross, and at the day of judgment they'll fall out one way or the other, as we talked about last week. And at that time, sin will never again dwell in the presence of God and His people. And so Habakkuk's saying, I know You're not like this. People are going to be hurt, and I must assume that you're doing this because the train wreck is coming for anyone who has any knowledge at all about the way things are moving, and you're doing nothing about it. Why do you sit idly by as if this is of no concern to you? In verse 14, Habakkuk noted that God in His sovereign will had provided no Godly leadership in the land, leaving God's people little better off than fish that had no protection against predators that would devour them. No godly leadership in the land. Hmm, I wonder what that would be like. It would be scary, wouldn't it, if there were no godly leadership? In the land. In our own nation. Verse 14. Is very much like the pattern. That Solomon warned individuals about. In Proverbs fourteen fourteen. The backslider in heart. Will be filled with the fruit. Of his own ways. Good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. But a backslider in heart. Will be filled with the fruit. Of his own ways. Sometimes. The most. Difficult thing for us is when God just lets us keep going in our sin. Doesn't judge us, doesn't stop us, doesn't pull us back. And then ultimately, we reap what we have sown. There is a lot of freedom when restrictions are lifted to be redundant. But exposure to evil and danger increases when we are allowed to live as we desire. It is why the heart of men and women are drawn to order, even totalitarian order, because we're not made to live as the fish of the sea who are constantly exposed to danger and death. That's why we require at least some structure and semblance of security. And communists and fascists understand this. From the right or the left, they're really not pulls apart. They're bumping up against each other at the bottom. They all understand this human impulse for order. And so they create havoc in the land to increase the desire for order in the hearts of the masses. Habakkuk knew better than to think authoritarian rule was the answer. He knew the consequences for the people's sins would be to live under a brutal regime and suffer much. In verse 15, the prophet began to describe the brutality of the Babylonian threat to Judah. We're fish, all right, and you have appointed them, Babylon, to be the fishermen. The king of Babylon comes with hooks and nets. One of the ways that the Babylonians would march their captives off back to the land of Babylon was to put hooks in their nose, which was both, which were both, it was both painful and humiliating. Often they would be chained together and walk naked for hundreds of miles into another place. The picture of people being dragged in a fishnet might have been metaphorical or it might have been literal. Either way, it was an ugly picture of judgment being painted by one who was still trying to process how a righteous and holy God could allow his people to be treated in such a manner. After all, it wasn't the righteous ones who had brought this judgment to the land. Verse 16 simply states that power-hungry nations worship their own might. If they were allowed to go unchecked by God's power, they would consume the world in their lust for control. It is why unchecked power and authority should never be given to an individual or to a small group of people, no matter how well-intentioned they are. The human heart always finds a way to please itself, even using one's relationship to the Lord as an excuse for wielding power. Habakkuk Two, one, marks the end of the prophet's second lament, and it ends the way it began with an expression of trust. I will take my stand at my watch post and situate and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk fully expected to hear from God, and he expected to understand more as he went. In 1:12, Habakkuk 1:12, the prophet affirmed his belief that the eternal God would keep his promise not to allow his people to die out. Now, in 2:1, he is poised on the wall of a watchman of a city, as a watchman on the, of the city, so that he might run and tell the news that God will give him. It's a posture of wary trust. That God will affirm in verse 4. So what is the message. That God gives to Habakkuk. Beginning in verse 2. It's an unambiguous word. That needs to be given as an urgent message to God's people. Verse 3 is the beginning of God's proclamation of judgment. On Babylon. On those Who oppose and attack God's people. The prophecy against Babylon might be slow in coming. It was going to be some 70 to 80 years after this prophecy was given. But it was certain. It's another pattern we find all over scripture. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Another way of saying this is though the wheels of justice turn slowly, they turn surely. God moving slowly is a pattern that works both for ill and good in our lives. He moves slowly, and then all of a sudden, he accomplishes what has been in the works all along. We know that the bad choices we make in eating and exercise departments go un- can, can go undetected for decades and then suddenly wreak havoc in our bodies. On the flip side, have you ever prayed for something, and, and you've asked the Lord, and it and, and almost becomes feels like routine, you're wanting this to happen, but it hasn't happened in years, and so you're still praying, and then all of a sudden, it happens so quickly, a series of events occur, that you don't even know that you're already enjoying the very thing you've been praying for all these years. It's kind of the way the Lord works, He moves slowly, and then all at once. Even as Habakkuk was trying to process the news God had given him, the Lord was telling Habakkuk to spread the message of verses 4 and 5. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. His death, like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The him and he of verses four and five refer to the king of Babylon who was representative of the entire nation. Not only was the Babylonian king proud and arrogant, but he was drunk with power. He thought he could do anything he wanted with other nations. And Judah was not going to be the exception to escape his evil intentions. How should believers respond to that? How were they to prepare for the judgment that would come upon the land? The highlighted words, but the righteous shall live by his faith, faith, are parenthetical. You have dashes supplied if you have a new international version, so I'm putting them on the screen to give you a better understanding of how this text is meant to be read. The contrast between arrogant self-reliance that is a law to itself and a humble dependence On the sovereign God who ordains all things could not be starker. One is consumed with politics and pleasures that are before him. The other sees with an eternal perspective. One is manipulative and insensitive. And the other seeks to promote God's righteousness. Your translation might read, the righteous or just shall live by his faithfulness. Faithfulness is the more precise translation of the Hebrew word here, though faith is both proper and an adequate translation. We are unable to achieve righteousness apart from God's righteousness. He declares us righteous because of our trust in His promises, as we have heard today. What do I have to do to be righteous? Do I have to clean up my act? Well, God will clean up your act, but only after you believe. Believe that Jesus died for you. Habakkuk didn't know anything about Jesus, but he was Trusting the promises of God. He was saved the same way we're saved. Trusting the promises of God. Jesus is what makes all faith from all ages meaningful. Even though they didn't know about him at the time. Faith cannot be compartmentalized so that it resides only in our minds with no impact on the way that we live our lives. Faith cannot be divorced from faithfulness, and our faithfulness cannot exist apart from God's faithfulness in our lives. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Look at some of those people. Look at most of those people in there. They had real problems. Hebrews 11 is more about God's faithfulness to his promises than it is about the faith of individuals. Our faith originates with God's faithfulness. Well, we're going to spend more time uh, in Habakkuk 2.4 next week and find the places in the New Testament where it is repeated, making it one of the most important verses in the Bible. But we want to close this morning by thinking about four points of application from our text, beginning with, any complaints that you bring before the Lord should begin and end with expressions of faith. Habakkuk begins his expression of astonishment by saying, Yahweh, I know that we will not die because of your promises. And then he went on to say, but this just doesn't make any sense at all to me. Even so, he expressed faith in his opening comments. And in Habakkuk 2.4, this section ends with God affirming the importance Of living by faith even though we can see little good in God's plan at the time. The best way to increase your faith is to be in God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17 says... The word of Christ is the word about Christ. Or the gospel and appropriate. The gospel is given in Habakkuk 2.4. The more time we spend in the word. The stronger our faith will grow. I imagine that many of you if not most of you. Know that Tim Keller died this past Friday. He went to be with the Lord. May 19th. Back in January. (laughs) Tim posted that the most important thing that a Christian can do is to read the Bible all the way through, over and over and over, at least once a year. One response to that tweet stated that this is the language of abuse. That's where we are. But here's the thing. The Bible was written... As a covenant document for the benefit of God's people. The Bible was written for believers. And of course, yes, it's true that unbelievers come to faith by believing the Bible. But you remember what it was like if you were saved anytime past your mid-teens. You remember the Bible was a closed book one day and you believed and it's wide open the next day. The scripture is written for us, and we shouldn't expect those who don't know Christ to understand. When you read the Bible over and over and over, your faith will grow. And that is when you have the right to bring your complaints to the Lord. When you come trusting Him despite your confusion. Second, God's sovereignty extends to the bad things that happen in your life. Trust Him anyway. Would you permit me to just make this statement and let it stand on its own merit without a great deal of explanation? You're going to wrestle with Habakkuk's question and home group this week. But at some level... This is unexplainable. We can at least know without a doubt, as Allison Talley always says, God never wastes anything in our lives. Things might not go the way we want them to go, and we might be confused, but God is worthy of our trust. Remember this, you can always trust God. You can always trust God. Did you remember when you were first saved how rapidly the Lord would answer your prayer? Every prayer that you requested and how you would find, like I did, the exact amount of change on the floor to get two letters to my girlfriend at the time who became my wife, Linda. I I remember uh, the ways that he would quickly answer prayers and meet needs. In those early days, your faith grew rapidly, and you thought that life would always be this easy. But then as the years passed, you didn't always get the answers that you were looking for, that you wanted. Faith is a little harder than it used to be, isn't it? Trust God anyway. That's when it really counts. Third, even if you suffer for doing good, follow Jesus. No doubt you have already suffered in some way for your Christian convictions. I don't mean that you've been thrown in jail or dragged out to the streets, beaten in the middle of the streets, but there is a price to pay for believing and expressing biblical convictions. Some of you might have lost jobs or at the very least been passed over for promotions. Or some of you may have been openly criticized in your neighborhood For the ways that you express your faith. What if the day comes. When because of your faith in Christ. You're not able to get a loan. Or a credit card. Cash will be gone by then. God forbid. But what if your. Savings and retirement account. Are taken away. Because of your bold proclamation of your faith. Would you follow Jesus anyway? Or is there a line beyond which you refuse to go? Jesus' words in Luke 14 are apropos for our day. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Maybe it's time that we count the cost. Maybe it's time that we should prepare for whatever might come. Again, as I said last week, not materially, not talking about hiding out somewhere. How are our hearts going to respond when the the evil days come? Maybe it's time for for us to increase our desire and our calls for Jesus to return. Last, faith should produce faithfulness. Examine your life to determine whether your beliefs match your behavior. We serve a good and gracious and sovereign God who loved us enough to send Jesus to die for our sins. Even though we had no hope of making ourselves presentable to a holy God, He did something about our sins by sending His Son to die in our place. Sacrificing Himself that God's wrath against our sins would be absorbed by Jesus, and we might be forgiven. This is the the component that Habakkuk didn't have. He he couldn't compare his own suffering with the suffering of a father who sent his son to die for our sins. He He could not compare his own suffering with the suffering of Christ. But we can. We can. And if you are here and have never Put your trust in Jesus. He will save you gladly when you call out to him, confessing your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you because of his death on the cross. This is a God worth trusting. No matter what anyone says about him or about you. This is a God worth following, no matter the cost. He is a God worth obeying, no matter how much your flesh longs to indulge the acceptable sins of our day. Time for us to take stock of ourselves and live so that when we look at others, or when others look at us, they will get at least a glimpse Of Jesus. It's time for our attitudes and actions to align with our words and our beliefs. Let's pray. Father, We believe, help our unbelief. Father, we trust you, increase our faith. May we not be frightened or sad, may we be joyful. Because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we yield ourselves and give ourselves to you, afresh and in you. In the name of the one who gave all that we might live, Jesus, amen. Would you please stand together? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.